Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Front and Nationwide. This is The Athletics, dedicated Blue Jackets podcast. Aaron Portsign with you. Allison Lucan is here. Hello. And we have the man, the myth, the legend, Jeff Rimmer, Fox Sports Ohio, is with us. Hello, Jeffrey. Uh, how are you? Welcome. Uh, nice to be back with you, too. Allison, it's been too long. I know. I'm not sure what that means. Well, I've had a chance, Aaron, to talk to you here <laughs> uh, over the course of... Uh, uh, this whole uh, yes. uh, COVID thing and the inactivity as far as the NHL is concerned, but I have not had much contact, if any, with Allison. I get you. I get you. I'm not going to take that personal. Quite frankly, I'd rather talk to her than you anyway. So. Yeah, I'm not going to take that personally. Try as you might. Um, it, there's a collection of players, uh, guys, at the uh, Ice House. Most mornings now, skating. Um, try, I think, for the most part, these guys, it's fall. They feel like they should be skating somewhere. They're not quite sure what else to do with themselves. And, they, of course, they want to stay ready uh, for the season. But where do we stand with this? The league is still working towards December 15 training camp, early January, perhaps January 1st regular season. Rims, what are you hearing on this? I'm not sure anybody is too certain that that's going to happen. Well, what I have been told from, from some pretty reliable sources, the players want to play. And the indication that you just mentioned, the Blue Jackets are at the rink. There are several teams uh, around the National Hockey League that uh, has their players at their practice facilities right. getting ready. They're chomping at the bit. They want to play. Of course, there's a lot uh, to be determined here and a lot to be decided over the uh, the days and the weeks and, and preferably sooner than later if, in fact, the National Hockey League wants to return on uh, the uh, 1st of January or thereabouts because I've had heard, have heard some waffling, maybe a little bit before, perhaps maybe more likely a little after the 1st of January. Now, I am told, again, uh, from some pretty good sources that uh, on a daily basis, Donald Fear, who heads up the Players Association, and uh, Gary Bettman and Bill Daly are talking uh, frequently uh, to each other and uh, have come to uh, somewhat uh, of a consensus as how they move this process forward. Uh, as uh, you probably both have heard, uh, there is a, uh, a negotiating committee from a player perspective that's been put together, and it's a bigger group than the play-in group to get the teams to the bubble and complete the previous season. Right. So it's a situation here now where, as of this re, uh, this recording today, the Board of Governors were meeting with Gary Bettman and Bill Daly and Coley Campbell, and they were discussing how to move this process forward. Now, I'm also told that uh, 
there are obviously uh, some hurdles and some roadblocks for one. And this one for me is a major roadblock, even above all others. And that is how are the players going to be compensated? They've already already agreed to a 20% uh, escrow reduction yep. and uh, a further 10% uh, reduction to their salaries. Uh, the players have been paid their first salaries of the season uh, on, Octo- on October 30th. And it's now a situation where the players feel that uh, they would be played their full salaries or the balance of their salaries from the deductions already uh, taken or agreed to. And uh, the owners who are hurting and likely have to start the season without fans want to pay the players on a prorated basis. Yes. Now, Rims, uh, riddle me this because they got a lot of stuff to work through. There's a lot of stuff that they've already worked through. Uh, and and they've they did an incredible job to pull the bubble off. We're talking some pretty heavy hitters on both sides of this. Big time lawyers at the top of both sides. How in the hell could the understanding of how they're going to return not explicitly say whether their salary would be full compensation minus the adjustments you spoke about versus prorated? I just find that hard to believe how the this group of lawyers and people could allow such a that's not small print that's no. a huge you're, you're talking i mean they may be lucky to play 48 games that and i just say that number because they've got a history of doing that when they start in january they may play well one games that's the difference between half your salary and your salary that's a huge difference how the hell do they forget that or leave that well, out well I, I think it's very easy. They hustled uh, and hammered away at uh, a memo of understanding and ultimately uh, the collective bargaining agreement to get the extension. And that had to be done before they would even agree to return to play. Yeah. And uh, I think that was obviously something that uh, was maybe put to the side or overlooked or wow. the other explanation for me might be, the thought that by the time this next season would start, and originally they wanted to start December the 1st, I think maybe they felt that uh, the COVID thing would be gone. Yeah, right. Maybe they thought that uh, there would be a vaccine and it wouldn't be the, the obstacle that it presents right now on a daily basis. Yeah. And as you guys know, you watch the news as I do, this COVID thing is out of control. Out of control. Yeah. Let me throw one more at you before I turn it over to Allison. Um, 40, I mentioned 48 games earlier. That's what they played during the 12-13 season after the owner's lockout. Um, they've played a similar number before. Rims, what to you is the, is the number they have to achieve to make it a legitimate season? I mean, the, the playoffs last two months. Close to it, um, I you can't have a playoffs that are that are longer than the regular season. I ask this because to me the most important thing at some point really soon here is going to be that you don't f up the twenty one twenty two season. In other words, you don't screw up yet another season. So to to drag this season out 
Uh, if it means you finishing in, in August, July or August and not having enough time to start yet the next season on time, I'm not sure how, what's worth it. What are your views on that? How many do they have to play to be legitimate and how important is it to not alter 21-22 season at all? Okay, first and foremost, they are not going to alter uh, next season. They are bringing in the expansion Seattle Kraken and they will start the season in early October, as is the norm, maybe a little bit later because there has been just some discussion on playing next season and seasons beyond that a little bit later due to college football in the early portion of the NFL season. But that's something that's uh, in the distant future. Uh, they need to play 48 games. The last lockout, they played 48 games. Quite frankly, the NHL owners and the players, obviously, for when it comes to this contractual thing, they want to play as many as perhaps 60. I've heard 62 games. Uh, they're not going to extend the season. They want it over at the latest, the first few days of July. They do not want to go beyond that. They want to have a Stanley Cup champion declared. So that being the case, as I said, they started mid-January and played 48 games uh, after the last lockout. So yep. that's doable. If they can get an agreement and move forward and dot the I's and cross the T's, I, I suggest that uh, they could start where they hopefully will start and where they want to start on the 1st of January. Let me throw a couple of other uh, curveballs here at you. Mm -hmm. uh, there are some owners that do not want to play without fans. Yes. There's not a chance. There's zero chance that they can start the season with fans in the building. And it's also going to depend on the locations they can play. COVID is out of control in certain locales. And it might be very difficult for them even to get governments to approve them to play in those locales. The best thing that I've heard is on the one side, the NHL players will not go back into bubbles, but they are agreeable to go into these hub cities. And as I'm sure you have discussed, and it has been reported that the Columbus, uh, uh, the city of Columbus and the Blue Jackets are one of the areas and teams that uh, could very likely host a uh, hub where teams would come in, play multiple games against division rivals, and then perhaps go home and practice for a week and then move on to another hub or return to that same hub. These are things that are being discussed in the boardroom as we speak here uh, and record this uh, program. These issues are being discussed and hopefully with some finality once they come to an agreement with the players. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Rims. I know we're not supposed to ask whose people's sources are, so I'm going to get as yes. close to that line as I can. How, how many people do you talk to in any given day? Oh, I talk to a lot of hockey people. I talk to <laughs> agents. I talk to players. I talk to management people. Uh, when you're in the game as long as I have, uh, over 40 years and 
grew up with some of the people that I talked to that are in the game. I got a phone call last night from a former general manager. I wanted to pick my brain as to what's uh, what's happening. And, uh, hey, I, I, I'm flattered. Uh, he's a, a well-respected uh, hockey guy. He's currently unemployed, but uh, he's got some uh, irons in the fire, and I suspect that he's going to have a, uh, a meaningful job here moving forward. And he's asking me about taking another GM job. So uh, it's it just being around the game as long as I have. Uh, one thing, and it's probably the thing I'm most proud of, uh, a guy that uh, became a hockey agent and was involved with the WHA while I was going to uh, the University of Calgary and Mount Royal College. Uh, he came in to uh, start the franchise. He later became an agent. I'll, I'll tell you his name. It's Herb Pinder. And uh, he became a longtime agent. Now he sits on the board of a number of companies in Canada. And Herb Pinder paid me the best compliment that I've ever, uh, ever had. And I'm very proud of. He said, you've never broken confidences. You're respected in, in the hockey community. And it's something that uh, a lot of people would love to have. And that is uh, the friendships that you have around, uh, around the sport and in life. And it's not just in, in hockey. I was in baseball for 20 years and I've got a lot of people that I talk to on a regular basis in baseball as well, but not to the extent that I do in hockey. So it, it, seriously, though, let's say, I mean, obviously you do talk to a lot of people. If you could only go to one group of people, if you want to get a read on a situation, would it be players, coaches, or front office people? You can only pick one. Boy. Only pick one. Um, well, probably because of my age. <laughs> and Well, no, it's because I've been around for so long it would probably be a combination of coaches and management. I really can't break it down. Uh, there, I've got a lot of friends that are coaches in the, in the NHL, and I've got a lot of people in management that uh, I'm quite familiar with uh, around the league. So it would have to be a combination of those two. It's pretty hard to narrow it down to one. The players, yeah, I, I talk to players, and, and you know, obviously there's mutual respect, but I don't have the, the confidence uh, – that I have with management and coaches around the league. Gotcha. So here, here's a hockey question for you then. You know, we all, a silver lining when the league hit pause last spring for this Blue Jackets organization was obviously, well, now they can get healthy, right? That was the big silver lining or perk, if you will, of there being a delay. Do you see any of all of this change and maneuvering that's going on being of benefit to the Blue Jackets going into what we hope is soon to be a next season? Well, that's a pretty good question. Um, and I, I can go off on, on, on many uh, uh, different uh, tangents on that one. Um, I, I think, obviously, the Blue Jackets being in that bubble last year in Toronto and, and performing as well as they did uh, and enjoying it and the camaraderie that was developed uh, by that group of players I mean, this was always a, a, to, uh, a really close-knit group, but I think totally uh, this group, uh, and, and, and that's why, as Aaron said from the outset here, uh, the fact that uh, there's so many Blue Jacket players right now at the rink on a daily basis, they want to be around each other. And I read somewhere, and it may be in a piece in The Athletic, and it's probably 
uh, a thousand percent accurate. The Blue Jackets culturally might very well be the best team in the National Hockey League. And a lot of that credit goes to uh, John Tortorella and, of course, Jarmo Kekalainen and, and John Davidson, who really changed the culture when they came into the uh, into the organization and changed it. And, hey, that is that's something the Blue Jackets can certainly wear on their chest. They've got some great camaraderie. It's a close-knit group, and uh, the culture has never been better in Columbus. And you know what? I think it improved over the course of the bubble. Nice, nice. There's been obviously a ton of change for this group. What's your favorite move by the Blue Jackets this offseason, and what's the one that you just kind of had to shake your head at? Or maybe I wish wish they didn't have to make, maybe I should say. Uh... My favorite move, probably uh, the acquisition of Domi. I think he's got something to prove uh, after what happened in Montreal and the fact that uh, his role diminished there. I think that, uh, you know, he's coming to Columbus uh, with his eyes wide open. He's talked to Josh Anderson and knows about the organization. Uh, I I think that's uh, probably my favorite move. Uh, My least favorite move is well it's not even a least favorite move i'm wondering about i think there's another move left and and i think when all this shakes down and hockey returns and teams get down to where they need to be as far as the salary cap that yarmo kekalainen can make another move that perhaps can add some scoring to the hockey team so that's kind of answering your question but you know, not saying it's a least favorite move. I think the club still has to make another move. And I think patience is a virtue. And I think Yarma will make it at the right time to get some additional offense on this hockey team. Getting back to something you talked about earlier, I bet I've been at this a little while. I bet four or five times through the years, especially in the summer, I'll make a phone call and about half a question in the personal say, I just talked to Jeff Rimmer. Why don't you call him and tell him what we <laughs> talked about? <laughs> so, do I take that as a compliment? Well, yeah, I, you should because you're you're beating me every time, apparently, because that's because I'm getting in after you. Yeah, um, but I'm not I'm not a beat writer. I just you know I talk to these guys not only to get information, but I know again it, there's friendships that I've developed over the years. So sure. The worst uh, is when you're talking to somebody and they say, "Oh, let me call you back. I got Rimmer calling." Like, what the <laughs> what the hell? Hey. Well, hey, you just know where you are on the on the totem pole. <laughs> That's right. It's a reminder. Um, yeah. Gustav Nyquist was such a um, smart, heady. It's so rare for a free agent to be exactly what the team expects him to be in that first season, and he was all of that, and maybe a. A little bit more. Um, how big a loss is this for them? We it's a tricky thing here because it's a five to six month recovery. He's a week into it. I mean, it's hard to say how much he's going to miss because we don't know when the season's gonna start or how many games are gonna play, but he's gonna miss a huge chunk of it. And he may not be right until 21, 22, uh, like a like a lot of us. Um, how big a hit is that? rims to, to lose Nyquist from this team. Devastating loss. Who's going to score the empty net goals? Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Led the team, led the team in, uh, in empty net goals. And uh, seriously, though, uh, 
he will be missed because he became an important player on this hockey team. He Absolutely. provided some leadership. Uh, he was a veteran player coming over. Uh, I, I think that uh, it was hard uh, for Yar for Yarmo, not Yarmo. Yarmo made the move, but hard for uh, John Tortorella to even understand why he'd never killed penalties before he came to Columbus and became a pretty good penalty killer on the hockey team. Usually was the first or second group up or part of. And uh, I, I think that... Uh, he fit in where the team wanted him to fit in. He, as I said, he provided that leadership. It's going to be somewhat of a loss, but it's going to be, give, be giving others an opportunity to step up. And at the same time, as I stated here just a few minutes ago, it's uh, probably opened up a spot where the Blue Jackets, once they get the Dubois signing done, that uh, they know where they stand and uh, whether it's before the season starts or during the season or before the deadline, they can pick up some additional offensive help. I mean, if they wanted to, they could put Dubinsky and Nyquist on long-term injury um, and have all kinds of cap space. Um, that's the thing. So I, it's a weird situation, eh? Because I'm of a mind that Tampa Bay probably is not going to want to help the Blue Jackets. I don't think there's like a – a wicked rivalry there. This isn't Colorado, Detroit, in the in the in the nineties and early aughts. But I mean, I, I I think Tampa has to do something. Everybody knows this, but what they I, I, if they can help it at all, I think they steer those players away from the East and away from teams they know they may be facing in the playoffs again. So I wonder. I know they have to do something. I know there's a couple other teams that have to do that too. I just wonder how realistic it is, even this year, um, to get those guys. The flip side of it is they're one of the few teams with that cap space. So it's not as easy as it usually is to just say, send them out west, because there's not necessarily many teams out there uh, that have the cap space or are willing to use it. The other thing I think is interesting, and I've heard a couple of GMs mention this, and I want to get your thoughts on it. Teams this this coming season, whatever this coming season looks like, because the budget crunch is so severe, and I think it's probably foolish of us to think that this doesn't apply to Columbus as much as other teams. Um, Worthington Industries is, is a profitable shop, but, but uh, no one likes throwing money away. But when teams drift out of it early, that the urgency to move pieces in this season will be much more extreme from ownership and much less willing to wait until the trade deadline uh, to cut your losses. What, what are your thoughts on that? I know that's a big question. Well, no, I, I, uh, I, I certainly agree. Uh, you're going to see teams uh, unloading players earlier, but let me just say this at the same time. And that is, you say Tampa may be reluctant to uh, make a deal with Columbus. And, and you're right, uh, except in this instance. Teams and general managers specifically, when they've got a player uh, that obviously could be helpful uh, to a, another team within the division or within the conference, the tendency is to try to move them to the other division or conference. Sure. Uh, but in this case, the Tampa Bay Lightning we're so desperate and are so desperate to get under the cap. And they've got to do that by the time the season starts, they were listening 
listening. I'm not saying that they were making offers around the NHL, but they were listening to hear of any offers that they could get for their captain, Steven Stamkos. Right. So to me, if they could make a move to Columbus with one of their players, and I think you're probably pointing towards Tyler Johnson, and if Columbus is uh, the destination from the Blue Jackets' perspective, the Armakekalainen says, yeah, I'll take Tyler Johnson, then, uh, yeah, I, I could see that type of deal being made uh, by Tampa, regardless of, of the thoughts that the two teams could, again, meet in the playoffs or whatever. But uh, the fact of the matter is the Lightning have got to get under the cap, and uh, they've got players, group two free agents, not unlike the Blue Jackets with Sorelli and Sergachev, uh, to name the first two. Right. Uh, they've got to they've got to make some substantial moves, and I don't think it would really uh, affect uh, uh, them by dealing a player to the Blue Jackets or any other team within their division or conference. As far as uh, teams unloading players, you better believe it. If teams fall out early, and if it's a forty-eight game season, uh, if they're twelve games in and they're two and ten, you're going to see teams offer up players for uh, futures for draft picks minor league prospects, whatever. Wow. It's amazing, isn't it? And and I want to see that in action. So if you're Yarmo Kekalainen, and this is your read, you don't have to be whole or you don't have to be the best you think you can be on opening night. You just wait for these things to happen and hope you're not one of those teams that starts 2-10. and 10. Sorry, Allison? <laughs> well, Rims, I'm going to ask one more question about you because these are the things I get interested in. I asked Jody this too. What was it like for you to call games not in the arena? Well, I remember talking to you and Aaron on a uh, on a previous uh, uh, occasion, and I kind of had my concerns, right, right, to put it mildly, if you remember. But I was pleasantly surprised, and I give a lot of credit. I give a lot of credit to. Uh, uh, to the Blue Jackets and to Fox Sports uh, Ohio for setting up uh, a, a studio type uh, a situation for us that really, really was exceptional. It wasn't ideal. I couldn't see the bench. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't ideal calling the game off a monitor, but it was uh, it was better than I I thought, and I was pleasantly surprised. Awesome. Uh, Rims, this is the Blue Jackets' 20th year on the ice. How many How many years have you been doing NHL play-by-play? Okay, i got to add them up because there's so many of them. Oh. Uh, <laughs> in, in the late 80s until 1996, I was in Washington. Mm-hmm. Uh, I then moved on. Well, after that first year, I did both the Washington Capitals, the, the inaugural year of the Florida Panthers. I did all the Panther games with the exception of three. I did 30. They had an abbreviated schedule, and I did all the Washington Capital games on home team sports and, and WDCA. And then uh, I've been in Columbus now for 17 of the 20 seasons. So uh, 11, 28. Um, I'm well over 30 now, 30 years. And that doesn't include all the years that uh, I worked in the NHL. Uh, sure. 77, to, 77 to 84, I did pre and post for the Montreal Canadiens, including a four-year Stanley Cup run. And uh, uh, then uh, when I went to Washington in 84, I started doing uh, hosting, replacing the great Larry King. 
and that's a great story to tell uh, on uh, HTS uh, intermissions and pregame shows. Did I ever tell you the Larry King story? Uh, you've told me a Larry King or several Larry King stories. I'm not sure if it's that one. All right. Um, I had just moved to, uh, to Baltimore, Washington, uh, to do, uh, to be sports director at WBAL radio, uh, work on, uh, WBAL television on weekends and, uh, do Orioles, uh, pre and post game shows. Uh, David Poyle, then general manager, uh, heard that I was coming and asked if I would be interested in working for the Capitals. And immediately I said, absolutely. Uh, and, uh, so I joined them in the middle of the year, uh, as far as uh, the hockey season was concerned. So they said, we'll wait till next season. Well, Larry King and I from baseball became pretty good friends. And Larry said, why don't you come and join me in the intermission? Because he was the original host of Capitals Hockey. And, uh, he said, why don't you join me in, in this, uh, first intermission and, you know, we could talk some hockey and talk about the Orioles. I said, sure. It was on HDS. So. Anyway, I, and this is all unbeknownst to me. I go down, we start the interview, and we go three, four, five minutes. And he turns to the camera and he says, uh, folks, I start CNN next Monday. Been on Mutual Radio forever and became the new 9 o'clock host on CNN. And he said, I start Monday. This is Jeff Rimmer. He knows more about hockey than I'll ever know. He's your new host of Capitals Hockey on HTS. And we're off. And I had no contract, no deal. So I had him. I had them over a barrel. I had them over a barrel and I was going to make big bucks. Not. But Larry promised. Well, Larry didn't promise the, uh, the remuneration, but I was happy to work the Capitals telecast uh, with the idea that uh, eventually I'd get a chance to move into the play-by-play spot. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And so it began. Um, the, this is 20 years for the Blue Jackets and it's a shame. Like, and uh, it's 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 a shame in the realm of hockey. There are much more uh, larger sadnesses than this, certainly. But in the world of hockey, this is one of those things. My opinion. It's a shame that the twentieth season already has been disrupted. I mean, I the Blue Jackets had big things planned for this season to celebrate that first year team, um, two decades on the ice. Uh, I wonder where that stands with the, with the franchise. And I wonder if at what point I've talked to Mike Russo in Minnesota about this too, because they're in the similar spot. At what point would the clubs just punt uh, and celebrate 25 years rather than abbreviate everything, uh, reschedule everything? Who knows if they, what sort of ceremonies they had planned for, for this season. Uh, any thoughts from you on, on a, just the, the disruption, yet more uh, more things were all missing, and and w- the best way to handle this. Well, uh, I uh, am not privy to uh, some of the plans and celebrations that the Blue Jackets have. I am to some, but not to others. I can tell you that the organization is working hard, and 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 obviously, it's it's a major milestone for the franchise. Twenty years. It's uh, it's grown. It's uh, a big part of Columbus, and and let's not uh, forget uh, the late uh, Mr. Mack, uh, absolutely, and and the fact that he wanted to bring Major League Sports to Columbus, and he did it. And we've got a great franchise, one that is respected uh, thoroughly right around the National Hockey League, and uh, I, I think uh, 
uh, the Blue Jackets will do the right thing. Yeah, they can celebrate in, in another five years, the 25th anniversary, but why not uh, capitalize on, on this season regardless of, uh, of, of how short it is? We could still see a situation, as I said, if, if uh, all the ducks are in order and an agreement uh, can be reached between the players and the owners, we could still see a 60-game regular season schedule, 62 games I've heard as well. Uh, the owners and, and the players would like to play as many as possible. Let them work it out in the boardroom. And uh, still, this is the 20th year of the franchise. And, and I think uh, uh, for the fans and, and for the organization, uh, deservedly, there needs to be some celebration. Yeah, well, we're, we're all rooting for a hockey to come back. I think, as you mentioned earlier, the, this stretch we're coming into here, and the way we're handling this or not handling this is truly frightening what this could turn into and, and things take a, a, a bit of a back burner. But Rims, I hope the hope the season is able to start. I hope everyone stays healthy. Hope to see you, oh my God, literally in a rink again at some point. It's been since March, um, since we've s- smelled that that cool air of ice with the every rink smells like. Uh, look forward to having it back again. Thanks so much for your time. Uh, thanks for joining the podcast. I think you may have been a guest more than anybody else on this podcast so far. So we certainly appreciate that. Well, I enjoy it. Uh, I, I respect both of you. I read you uh, religiously as I do The Athletic. I think it's a great uh, publication and uh, glad that, uh, uh, number one, uh, a lot of people uh, stepped uh, stepped up and stepped out. And it's uh, turned into uh, just a, a great way to not only read uh, what's going on in the hockey world, but uh, I read all the baseball and, and pretty well all the sports, NFL, college. It's, you guys have just taken uh, a great vehicle and, and made it bigger and better all the time. So uh, I uh, certainly salute the two of you and enjoy talking to you, not only here, but uh, daily at the arena. Yeah. Well, thanks, man. Thanks so much. And I'm sure we'll uh, talk to you soon. Allison, thanks for for helping uh, make this thing work. And we will uh, be back with you all next week. Thanks so much. 